year, at some point during the liturgical cycle, we have readings on the two great commandments of Jesus concerning the love of God and the love of neighbor. And if you're like me, you've heard many, many sermons on it. And so today, in a sense, you are going to get another one, my reflection on the first great commandment and its relationship to the second. We begin with the reading from the Gospel of Mark, the earliest of the Gospels. In this passage, Jesus has been debating others, and he's been winning the debates. And then one of the teachers of the law came and asked Jesus, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus says, The most important one is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus' response includes affirmation of the great Shema Yisrael, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was prayed regularly in Jewish households and synagogues throughout the country. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 also emphasizes loving God with one's whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus is praying from his Jewish tradition and not giving us a radically new teaching. The emphasis can also be found in Judaism to love one's neighbor as oneself. So there's nothing new here. In Matthew's Gospel, however, Jesus does say that on these two commandments hang all of the teachings of the Law and the Prophets. And so perhaps his giving this its core emphasis, this kind of core emphasis, is unique to him. The two great commandments we see are not separable. The Matthew version says that the second is like unto the first. And yet they are not the same. They're not to be conflated or collapsed into each other. Clearly, for Jesus, the love of God has the priority. Even in the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, he begins, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And this comes before prayer for oneself, for one's needs, and forgiveness. The love of neighbor is linked to the love of God. It can't be separated. And yet the love of neighbor is not the same as the love of God. Christianity is more than a humanism. It has a specific religious dimension as well. The balance seems to be that the love of God is demonstrated in the love of neighbor. These two great commandments seem to be, in a sense, Jesus' core mission statement to us, a distillation of his teaching. He's telling us what's most important, what defines who we are, and what we do. There are also some metaphysical implications, one of which is that it presumes a kind of duality, that human beings are not God, but that we are distinct from God, even though, in some deep level, we're connected with God, who is giving us existence moment by moment. This distinction between the human and God makes a real relationship possible. 
Christian spirituality is about relationship, and not about realizing some sort of innate divinity, such as we find in monistic, pantheistic systems of spirituality. The emphasis in the two great commandments is love. Love as our right relationship with God and neighbor. For as we learn in 1 John 4, God is love. It's also about unrestricted love, giving oneself fully to God. God in Christ has loved us without any restriction, and we're called to give of ourselves in like manner. Why, we might ask, use the term commandment in speaking of love? Well, first of all, we might say, because it's emphasizing what is just. We owe our lives and existence to God, and so it is only right that we recognize this and give to God a return of thanksgiving and love. But can love really be commanded? This would never work in a human relationship. I would never say to my wife, I command you to love me. And she would never say that to me as well. It just doesn't work that way. Remember the context. Jesus is responding to the question asked about what are the greatest commandments. Asked otherwise what is most important, he would have probably emphasized the same, love of God and love of neighbor, but it wouldn't have been in the context of commandments. A few spiritual implications, especially for Christians. First is that these two commandments present us with an idea of God as relational other, as we have already noted. We live and move and have our being in God, and yet we are also called to relate to God as another. Relating to God in this way is a proper focus for fulfilling our ultimate human desires for meaning and love. The longings of the human heart cannot be quenched by anything worldly, and the first commandment recognizes that they are quenched in the love of God. So you might say it's an invitation to spiritual fulfillment. It also tells us that God loves us and longs for us. God actually seeks relationship with us. All throughout the Bible, the initiative for relationship comes from God, not humans. Think of Abraham and Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and many others. Finally, it must be possible to obey this commandment if Jesus taught its importance. If it were not possible, he would not have asked us to do it. For Jesus doesn't ask us to do the impossible. Remember that God for Jesus is not merely a metaphor for meaning, goodness, or truth, but a real being who can be known and loved. How to love God, then, with our whole heart, whole soul, whole mind, and whole strength? It's difficult to love another human being whom we can see, but God whom we can't see? Well, first of all, the first great commandment doesn't mean that we turn God into an object of perception or inquiry. We can acknowledge that we are already connected with God, and yet God and I are distinct. 
So we're not saying here that God is merely an object. What we are affirming is that God is another subject, or person, if you will. Someone with whom we can be in relationship. We cannot see God, of course, but we can see Jesus as the manifestation of God, and can relate to God in human form through Him. Loving God by loving Jesus is perfectly acceptable, since in Christianity we believe that Jesus is God. Of course, some may feel to simply love God as God, or the Father, or the Creator, or the Spirit, and that's all perfectly fine. We remember that all loving comes in response to His love. As it's put in 1 John 4 verse 19, we love because He loved us first. So the invitation is to open ourselves to God in faith and prayer. Faith is our yes to God's invitation to loving relationship. Prayer is exercised in this faith context as our communication with God, even if this communication is radically simplified as simply resting in the awareness of God's love for us, a basic kind of contemplative practice. Prayer, we might say then, is the intersection of our longing for God and God's longing for us. It's standing in the midst of that, experiencing this relationship. We remember here, too, the Holy Spirit, Jesus' gift to us. The Spirit is God's gift of loving, that we might come to know, with Christ's own loving, how God loves us. So we can always ask the Spirit to teach us to pray and to love God with our whole heart, whole soul, whole mind, and whole strength. Finally, something we need to do is to let go of our idols, those false gods in our lives that usurp the place of God. By this I mean our attachments to success, money, our physical appearance, status, power, sex, alcohol, and so forth. All of these clutter the temple of the heart. Letting them go makes more room for God. The fruit of the practice is that we can come to know that our lives have their proper focus and direction. Our desires and dreams begin to be formed by God, who made us for a particular purpose, and who knows the destiny to which God has called us. We come to love what God loves. God's loving rubs off on us. I remember when I was in college, I had a botany teacher named John W. Thoreau, who loved plants. When I took his class, I didn't especially notice plants. But by the end of his class, I was ready to become a botanist. His love for plants had so turned me on to their world and the beauty of them that uh, I, I saw them in a new way. How much more can God do that with us? to show us how to love ourselves and others in the creation, and even our enemies, in a new way. <clears throat> we come to know peace. Not peace as the world gives it, but peace that the world cannot take away. And finally, we come to know ourselves as we really are. Our true self. God's love does not annihilate our unique individual personhood. 
but fully actualizes and energizes us to become the person God created us to be. To become a likeness of God, not simply an image of God, which is a statement about our spiritual consciousness and nature. Well, I hope you found these reflections helpful. The first great commandment is certainly challenging and invites us to ongoing growth. Please check out the resources at shalomplace.com and heartlandspirituality.org and this YouTube channel for more resources for spiritual growth. Thank you for listening.